you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi everybody, from LAist Studios, I'm John Raby. Over more than 10 years and almost 600 episodes, Off-Ramp told the untold stories of LA's people and places. And you know what? Great stories never die. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, welcome to Off-Ramp. Pepe Aguilar, welcome to Off-Ramp. This is Betty White, and you're listening to Off-Ramp. We're looking into a bomb shelter. People really remember the Atomic Cafe. We say tomato. They say tomato. Knocks him cold with one punch. You're listening to Off-Ramp with John Raby. Whoa, 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 he's a Raby. It's nine years of me screaming at him till his hair flies off. You know, I mean, it's a lot. I never stopped doing mariachi. I never stopped being on this Mexican side of myself. Never. I have friends who ask me, why do I still live in South L.A.? You know, it's home. Thanks for joining me as we dip into the Off-Ramp archive and explore Southern California together on Off-Ramp. Hey, James, we're taking a big risk here. We are recording uh, mono in the same track. Are we really? We are. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll try not to step over you. This is Off-Ramp. I'm John Raby. And for this episode of the Off-Ramp podcast, in which we dig into the Off-Ramp archives, I'm joined by James Kim, who came aboard Off-Ramp as an intern. What year was that? That was 2012. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, so 10 years ago. That's great. Yeah. Um, James Kim, by the way, is uh, now a podcast god. He made uh, the competition. <laughs> he did Moonface, the audio fiction. He did uh, Vermont Avenue, which won Tribeca's Best Fiction Podcast Award. He helped relaunch Invisibilia. And uh, he's just wrapped up a podcast with Disney. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've run interns. Have you ever had an intern yet? Uh, I haven't yet, no. Okay. Well, when you do, they're going to come to you and say, hey, this, what turns out to be a really banal thing, happened to me, and I want to tell the story. I want to do a first-person podcast, and you're going to have to say no. Um, your job as an intern is to go out and tell other people's stories. So uh, you came to me with this story idea, and uh, the exact opposite happened. And you, you came to me, and you said, hey, there's this really interesting thing. It's called first language attrition, and it happened to me, but I don't want to be the one it happens to in the story. Yeah. I remember that. I remember. Uh, I distinctly remember it was like downstairs in the st- in your when you're working in your own studio in at KPCC, and um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, you know, I studied linguistics and anthropology, and so I kind of knew about it, and and I was trying to find a subject for it, and you're the one who kind of pushed me to, to to point the the mic to me. And I was like, no, John, I don't want to do that. <laughs> very, very microphone shy. But then I also was like, but the rule is with journalism, you can't tell stories about yourself. You got to tell stories about other people. So I was like so confused. Like, I can't do that. Um, so so you came to me with the and, and by the way, you are Korean, first generation Korean. Yeah. And you you came to me and, and one of the things you said was, I can't talk with my parents. Little, literally, yeah. I have forgotten the Korean that I knew when I was a kid. They are, you know, they're they're immigrants and they only speak Korean, so you couldn't talk to them. Yeah. And and to me, I was like, well, it's a real thing, and it's happening to you. And I I thought, oh, we should get a translator so you could talk with your parents. Yeah, I know. And it was like, 
I, I guess the other thing too is like I, I resisted because I didn't want to talk to my parents because that was the norm. Like, especially to talk to them about something so, I mean, um, personal and I, I, and identifying, we don't actually talk. Can we talk about not talking mm -hmm. because of our language barrier? I like cringed. It felt way too personal. Uh, but you were so against doing it yourself that I knew you had to do it. <laughs> Is, is that so? Yes. No, if somebody really, really, really doesn't want to do something, there's a reason that they don't. They really, really don't want That's to do true. it. And they need to get through that. And I knew that that also would add, would add, uh, you know, interest and real realness to the piece. Yeah, that's interesting. Now looking back on it, because you were pushing pretty hard and I was resisting pretty hard. Yeah. And I and I and I feel like because I didn't have any other story ideas that month, and I wanted to get a story on the air. And I was like, I did it reluctantly to just be like, fine, I can just do this one story and then that's it. And, um, it, you know, it ended up becoming the inspiration for the show that helped me quit my full-time job and do freelance, which was Moonface. Really? Yeah. I, I, I remember, like, after that experience of doing this piece, it was something where, you know, for me, I got a lot of people hitting me up and saying, oh, my God, I have this experience, too. And then when I wanted to step away from doing documentaries and, and, and audio journalism and do fiction, um, the first idea I had was what is like a very audio story that isn't like like explosions or sci-fi or, or a horror that every other fiction show is doing? And that's a story about language. So it, it was kind of a perfect like, you know, circle that came back. I do remember when you were writing it, uh you wanted um you you needed to like record some lines from it and i think i played the creepy old man at the bar oh from is that right face. was that me yeah <laughs> trying to pick you up yeah, yeah you did. i did I, I grabbed you and i i was probably like i probably shouldn't get my employees to record some of these uh these lines where they're in like a bar or a sex hey, baby. club right yeah. it was okay it was it was it was I don't know if any more of the podcast was explicit, but it was not even explicit. It wasn't oh, even fun. Yeah. Okay. I will I will say that uh yeah, the podcast is if you want to listen to Moonface, that podcast, that's a hard R podcast. Oh really? Oh yeah. There's a yeah, I would Oops, not now you know that I did not listen to yeah. my own former <laughs> interns. That's totally okay. I'd feel really weird if you did, because there's a lot of sex in it. Wow, great. Um <laughs> it's radio sex though. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, now it's time to listen to James's piece from t 2012, produced as an intern for Off-Ramp, and it's all about a thing called first language attrition. I know kids say adults don't speak their language. Both my parents, Jane and young Kim, who came to the U.S. from Korea to give me a better future, it's literally true. We don't talk about everyday stuff. Actually, we don't talk at all. Before I finished this piece, I didn't even know what towns my parents came from in Korea. My dad, he's from Taegu, and my mom's from Seoul. The help of please? And Me? Mm. You. That's my mom. And that's me trying to help my mom cook. This is rare for us since we hardly talk to each other, except for the occasional hello or what are you making for dinner? We never go further than that because my parents mainly speak in Korean and I mainly speak in English. This makes it hard for us to understand each other, even when asking a simple question like, where are you putting the tofu? What are you putting here? Put it in the fry pan. Honey, yoga moya. This is No, no. Put it in the salad. No, no, yoga. Chicken, moya. Cook. Honey, 
Right now, what I'm on the what I'm on doing here. Constate. Never mind. That's a typical conversation for us. As you can hear, it doesn't really work out. What happened is I started speaking Korean when I was little, and then I learned English. As my English got better, my Korean got worse. I thought I was the only one like this, but it's actually a common condition. Linda Light, a linguistics professor at Cal State Long Beach, says it's called first language attrition. There's a tendency across all uh, minority groups of a three-generation kind of thing. The first generation of immigrants speak their first language, uh, their native language, and sometimes they speak some English as well. Their kids, the second generation, become bilingual because, of course, they go to school. And third generation typically has lost the native language and is pretty much monolingual in English. But Koreans especially often lose it in the second generation, not the third. That is, they lose it in your generation. I don't remember when this started happening. So to find out, I decided to do something I never thought I would do. Have a one-on-one personal conversation with my parents. Of course, with the help of a translator. Do you remember the first word I, I spoke? Oma. Oma. Mommy. How'd that make you feel? I said mom. I felt like you relied on me or always wanted to be with me. Just that simple word mom had all these feelings and emotions attached to it. How old well was my Korean when I was growing up? You spoke Korean really well for seven years. It was perfect. And I actually have proof. I found an old video my mom recorded of me when I was seven years old. But afterwards, you stopped speaking Korean and only spoke English. Why didn't you take me to like Korean school or do anything like that? Every week, our Korean church had a Korean language school that you went to, but you still refused to speak Korean. It wasn't my fault. It was your choice. I spent a lot of money, but you still turned out like this. I always thought that they never put effort into helping me keep my Korean language. But during this interview, I learned that they also bought books, audio tapes, and even tried to teach me themselves. My ability to communicate with my parents has gotten so bad that I even needed a translator to understand what they're saying. But Professor Light says it's common, and with Koreans, it seems to happen faster. In other cultures, it's the grandkids of the immigrants who lose their language, not the kids. I would have predicted that the Koreans would maintain their language more than this because there is still a a large influx of Korean immigration going on right now, or at least in the last 10 years. And usually that sort of refreshes the value for the language and the culture. Do you think because I don't speak Korean that I don't have a good relationship or as good of a relationship with you guys as you guys like to? It's not like that. It would be nice for you to be more familiar with Korean culture so that you'll understand us better. You'll need to watch Korean TV, Korean dramas, read books. Your apathy towards Korean culture has caused our relationship to become unstable. 
It's not just something that happened to us. People who come to America and have children here, like we did, experience the same thing. A gap between you and me forms and gets bigger because our cultures, your culture and my culture, are different. In order to close this gap, we need to constantly communicate so that we can understand each other. You should hear about how we used to live in Korea, and in the same way, you should talk about what you're going through. And by doing this, we should build a relationship, because it's important to have a good relationship. I wanted to say that for a long time. I started to tear up when I heard this, because my parents have never expressed their feelings towards me. I guess I figured they never tried, but maybe it's because they couldn't, or better yet, it's the first time they could. Do you wish I was able to speak Korean better? Since you live in America, speaking decent Korean would be enough. We saw that speaking better English when you were growing up was good for you. But now, since you've grown up and have an understanding that you are Korean by blood, I hope that you will speak Korean as well as you speak English. As long as you keep it in your heart that you are half Korean and half American, it's okay. Mom and Dad, I just wanted to say, for Off-Ramp, I'm James Kim, 89.3 KPCC. That piece comes from the Off-Ramp archive from 2012, uh, voiced, written, produced by James Kim, who is now a podcast star, uh, did the competition Moonface, Vermont Avenue, worked with Invisibilia, and uh, also just wrapped up a, a podcast with Disney that he is not at liberty to discuss in depth. Nope. Um, I am proud of you. May I say that? Yeah, you can. It's, I'm, I'm blushing. People can't see it, but I, like to be referred by you as a or to you for you to tell me that i'm like a podcast star is shocking because i don't know when i started off as a little intern i really didn't know what i was doing so it, it's kind of crazy how things have turned out well when um when off-ramp went off the air uh there were no, which and I, I moved into management totally my choice we had an 11 year run and i was ready to try something else um when it went off the air there were no crowds, there were no pitchforks, there were no torches. Uh, it just went off the air, and people were fine with that. And uh, they they put Film Week on in its place, oh, yeah. and listenership went up like by a third. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. No. Which is all, no, but that's totally fine. And I came to realize that the real legacy of Off-Ramp, and I mean this totally seriously, and you're going to say, oh, no, 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 oh, <laughs> okay. um, is you... Gina Delvac, Andrea Dominic, Raghu Manavalan, Robert Garova, um, Mark Pampanen, Chris Greenspun, Kevin Ferguson, a whole list of people, and I'm missing some, I'm sure, and I'm sorry if I did, but a whole list of people who actually got jobs after being in the boot camp of Off-Ramp. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty fantastic. And when you are, uh, I'm almost 56 now, I hope that you're going to look back and say, oh, I helped, I helped five or six people get a leg up 
on on in, in in a real job in the real world. Yeah, and then you you can feel good about that, and I do feel good about that. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say that like your nobody wanted to hire me. I applied to so many radio gigs as an intern. Uh, and, and your, and off ramp was the only one that gave me a shot. Really? Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. And that's why I was so intimidated by, by the medium, because I just never felt like I knew what I was doing, or I felt like I was like good enough to get the job. You're the only one and only place that actually trained us. You like the boot camp is, is real. Yeah. I remember the first week you handed us some gear and you're like, all right, now go out in the world and, and record. I'm like, what? And you know, and in all of us, all of the interns, uh, we all had to to learn how to pitch, learn how to write, learn how to edit, learn how to use Pro Tools, you learn how to sound design, learn how to score. But it wasn't like a scary environment. It was a, an environment where we actually felt really um, like excited to just play around and see what we can make. And so I'm not surprised that all these people. Like Gina was running Spotify's original content. Yeah. And I remember Gina and I would be in the hallways and she'd be helping out on my sto story as a fellow intern. And it's just crazy to me. I can't think of any other place that has launched so many people and has fostered so many people to, to be so confident in the thing that they're making. So I got to say thank you to you, John, okay. seriously. We, well, you're welcome. Um, but we, ha we had so few resources on OffRamp that everybody had, like, I didn't have the luxury of having interns go out and collect tape that we didn't use. This was not This American Life. <laughs> we, yeah. have a, we have a weekly show in which we're producing new content. <laughs> so maybe your voice wouldn't get on every week or every other week when you submitted uh, uh, pieces. But eventually, you know, you get to, you get to be able to produce full-blown things. And I also do not believe in uh, negative reinforcement. This is not, what was that horrible, stupid movie about the drummer? Oh, um, uh, Whiplash. Whiplash. That's BS. That is not the way to treat anybody. You don't get the best out of people by scaring them. You you get the best out of people by building a team. Yeah. And by the way, there's another lesson for you. If your team is great, you look fantastic. It's true. <laughs> that's that's that, very true. It, it's you know that's about ten percent of it. But nevertheless, <laughs> you got a great team. They're going to look at the leader of the team and say, "Oh, yeah, good job." And and by and the team is the one doing the work. It's like being the executive producer of something. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have you to just, do anything. You hire the right people and you step out of the way and let them do their thing. Yep. Yeah. So um, at the end of the piece we just listened to, you say words in Korean. I have never asked you before what those words are. You Can you tell me what those words mean? Uh, and also, I should say I've never tried to have anybody translate it. I never really. No, no. I figured it was wow. your piece. And if if you were swearing in it or something, we'd get letters, but uh, that never happened. <laughs> Imagine I should have I should have done that. No, um, yeah, I um, yeah, that kind of ending. Um, it was inspired by at the time like uh, a movie called uh, Lost in Translation, Sofia Coppola. Mm. The very end of that film, um, Bill Murray goes to Scarlett Johansson and whispers in her ear and. You think that you're going to hear what they say. You think you're going to understand the context, but he whispers in Scarlett Johansson's ear, and then they and then he just walks away, and they say goodbye. And you never get to hear that moment. I remember reading those interviews, and Sofia Coppola was like, "That moment is just for those characters. Huh. It's not for anyone else, but for those two characters." Huh. And for me, if I was going to do something so personal, and uh, you know, a, 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 an episode about communicating directly with with my parents i wanted to say something directly to them and it was like a moment just for just for me and my parents and then that's it um so that is to say i will not say okay anybody <laughs> but anybody who speaks korean could yeah 
It's true. Could, and it, I could get it translated or whatever. That, so that's not, true. It's not secret in that yeah. same way. Um, what happened to your relationship with your parents after the piece? Yeah. Um, so I went off and took more Korean classes. Uh, still not the best, but I'm not horrible at it. And um, my mom, actually, I was helping my mom learn English. So what I would do at KPCC when I was still there was um, she would give me like English books that she was reading. And then I would go to KPCC late at night. I can say this because I'm gone um, and use the equipment and record myself reading the books that she would give me. And then she would listen back to those recordings at night. And, and that's how she would learn how to speak English, too. Huh. So um, still a continual process. But now we are, we're able to communicate more. Huh. And are you talking about like personal stuff and and developing a relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I, you know, my mom was like the first person that I like came out to, you know. And that's and... that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> we had not discussed this, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, she was. She was. Well, I was. I should say one of the first people I came out to, and um, and that was kind of a thing where it was a moment where I don't think it would have. Like it was a, a realization because our language barrier was still really yeah. great, and but it was this realization that like we could communicate without using the words, and like yeah. she she also just knew. So of course she knew. Now we were going down. What was that kid's totally name? Tangent. What was that filmmaker's name? Was it? I want to say Philip. Oh, Andrew Ahn. Andrew Ahn. Yeah. You did a piece about, <laughs> this is back when you were still closeted. Yeah. And you did a piece about Andrew Ahn, who was a filmmaker <laughs> who made a movie. In which he uh, he he taped a coming out basically and played it for his parents. Yeah, and they didn't really get it when they watched it. Yeah. And he was like, "Oh, great!" But but it was it was just so multi layered meta. This is another yeah. reason I wanted you to do this piece. By the yeah. way, did you know? And then... I knew that you hadn't come out to him. Oh yeah, C did we talk? Because I think I, that that I think that that kept you from communicating with your parents too. Because yeah. there's this huge thing. Yeah. That you have not addressed with them. You know, that's true because I did talk to you about that because I, you know, and, 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 and we would talk about that stuff and especially right. pitching to Andrew. Oh boy, you were doing some behind the scenes work, weren't you? I, I'm just learning about this stuff now. It's, well, here's a, so, and by the way, I'm a, I don't know if anybody out there doesn't know this, but I'm a, I'm a confessed homosexual myself <laughs> and I, with what? a homosexual husband. What? I know. Thank, thank goodness. I thought you um, and Julian were straight. What? Right. This whole time. Yeah. In public radio? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, you can't, I think you can't be a good broadcaster. You can't be a good host if you're not, if you're not, uh, let's just say that listeners can smell BS. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're faking it, you're going to come across as fake. And, and so something as basic as uh, your sexuality super important super important in society there's so much built around it you, you you have to be honest about that with your listeners and with yourself and with yourself yeah that's you very know? true because yeah. and i and, and it is true it, it was hard for me to because you're the first lesson that you were giving us as interns was you have to write in your voice hmm. that was the hardest thing for me it's a hard thing for a lot of people right. but i would say that it was hard because to that point like i wasn't fully out right i felt very insecure about like who i was so writing write in your voice is like really hard to do we never could have had this conversation on tape unedited yeah 10 years ago. That's so true. It would have been impossible. You would have restarted it a million times worrying about what you were going to say. And see, now you can talk and not worry about what you're going to say because you can yeah. just answer with something close to the truth. Yeah, that's very true. This is very true. I mean, you we talked last time when like 
competition came out yeah. and like i still was like someone trying to find myself so yeah. i felt i don't feel that like i'm still bashful and, and and maybe reserved when i when i talk about myself but i think it, to your point it's like now become a lot more comfortable with it just because i've sat with it more you know yeah well and i think voicing and hosting and writing and all that stuff is a way of figuring out for us at least you and me mm-hmm. who we are what we are what we can do um, you get a few successes under your belts and a lot of failures, and you're like, oh, okay, uh, that's no big deal. I'm not going to worry about that. I'll just keep pushing forward. Yeah. I mean, highlight on the failures. Oh, my gosh. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I, is there something else? That you, have you, is there something you wanted to say uh, to the podcast world, to both listeners right now? Huh. That's interesting. Like, did, you didn't even tell them about the beautiful uh, uh, vintage vinyl chair that you're sitting in a lazy boy knockoff i'm trying to make some sounds look at the look yeah it's a great recliner but look at the uh the arms oh what is not on those arms um wood cigarette burns oh (laughs) that's a vintage piece with no cigarette burns wow that's actually kind of incredible yeah where'd you get this at the at a, a secret uh store that i go to a vintage store up the street la i'm sorry la road uh, it's not an antique store. L.A. Road Thrift Store. You know, I love the color because I'm wearing this exact olive green. I'm just an olive green sucker. So like oh. anything that's olive green, but it's like beautiful. It's very, there's a lot of curvatures, but it's just, it's kind of nice. But yeah. yeah, I mean, in terms of like um, something to say to the podcast community. Um, you could say it in Korean if you want. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. Um, you know, for me, it's like... Uh, I've always kind of um, gone by just just making stuff for yourself and constantly making stuff for yourself. I think it's really easy now with podcasting. There's a lot of opportunities, a lot of big players in, in the space. And um, it's easy for you to kind of just get sucked into the system where you're like, in order to make a podcast and for people to hear it, I need celebrities, I need big names, I need a big studio, I need a big budget. And the the number one rule is like, no, you just need to trust your taste and you need to work on like you probably hear something in your head and you really want to learn how to execute that thing that you're hearing in your head. And sometimes it might not translate when you make it. But the only way you do it is you just keep doing it and doing it, but always just trust your gut and, and your taste level. And, and then everything else will just kind of fall into place like that's. That's really what I ended up doing, and and because I've always was very unsure about the stuff I was making, but when I just kind of said, F- it, I'm just gonna keep making stuff for myself." That's when things started to turn for me. So, um, yeah, just just make stuff you like and make stuff for you, and 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 just keep working at your craft. And then later, once you know who you are and what you are and what what it is that you can do, then you can then you can integrate the celebrities, or you can then you can do the mm-hmm. things that might be a little more targeted. But if you don't know how to grow something organically, you're yeah. screwed. That's such a good point. 100%. I mean, it's, you know, like if you try to go and and try to go big and try to be like, this is how I'm going to make a great podcast from the jump, you're just going to, it's going to be very hard to sift through that because there's with more people attached and more money attached, there's more people who have an opinion and strong opinions because you're spending their money. We're getting the weeds on that. But like, I I genuinely know, like you're hitting on something like right now I'm dealing with where now the projects I'm working on are much bigger names, much bigger budgets, but I feel very comfortable and confident in those environments because I've already gone through the slog of trying to figure out what the, like the kind of stuff I want to make and how I want to make it. Yep. Yeah. You did the Marfa. 
Yeah, I did do the Marfa, the 2,000 person town and just not knowing what the hell I was doing other than making a podcast that 50 people will listen to. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. Okay. James Kim, thank you so much for coming on the reincarnation of Othram. John, thank you so much for just having me. It was really great to see James again. We haven't seen each other since before the pandemic. Um, and we talked for longer than his piece. But that's okay. You could stop at any moment. And I really appreciate that you've stayed for the entire conversation and segment from the Off-Ramp Archive. This is an Elias Studios podcast. My name's John Raby. Our theme music is by Fesslian Studios. Thank you so much, David Fesslian. And I'll see you next week on the off-ramp when I think we're going to Dodger Stadium. Catch you next Friday. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.